The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Eye You're listening to Squawk Eye Dent, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 92 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 15th of October, 2021, from the mobile Aviator Sound Studios high atop the fourth floor of the Hilton Garden Inn in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, I can actually see the runways from here. Pretty cool. On today's flight, Rob D. joins me to discuss paper revisions, static discharge wicks, St. Elmo's fire, lavatory vaping, hot crew meals, and much more. We are also excited to be joined by a returning guest. Miss Christy Wong is here, and she will be sharing her experiences as she completed her initial ground school and initial operating experience at Sandpiper Air. All this and more aboard Flight 92 of the Squawk Ident Podcast. Let me just take this opportunity to again thank Mark Furman for joining us on Flight 91, Leadership Persistence. Rob, Captain Roger, and I were all honored in having the Colonel share his thoughts and experiences with us. Thanks again, Mark. We enjoyed having you on the show. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 91 is officially underway. Assisting at the controls of today's flight is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is a former international professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP, an avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his unicorn ranch, where the aircon is finally working again, but the T-storms are still striking hard. From somewhere in Flower Mound, Texas, help us in welcoming our very own Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Hey, what's up, Tony? How you doing? Hey, <laughs> forget about it, man. As you can see in the video here, I am tired. <laughs> yeah, look, you you uh, you like to do those transcon late nights, red eyes. I don't know. I shouldn't say you like to do them, but that's what you have been doing. It looks like, and I'm a glutton man, for punishment. Those buddy. are uh, those take a lot out of you. <laughs> they do. Um, and uh, since the last show, uh, yes, I've had a string of days off filled with house guests, um, mm. many, many uh, over 80-year-olds. Uh, we were doing a parade of families' houses. At one point, we got a pretty awesome picture of all the uh, the sisters, my my in-laws, and, uh, oh, and cool. all the aunts. And uh, like every single one of them is over 83 years old, and some of the oldest, I think, was 95. So wow, yeah, That's we awesome. had we had a good time uh, entertaining uh, yeah. the family and uh, and just you know spending time together. Um, yeah, three, four generations actually. <laughs> wow, so, that you know that is really awesome. Those are you know those kind of uh, those things are rare in today's you know family lives, and you really just got to you know cherish those moments and 
um, and really, you know, sit back and appreciate those times you have with the family. We, we did that a few times with our family and we were able to get, get together a few times and, you know, we had three or four generations all together at once. And, uh, I remember doing it as a kid, especially at like weddings and birthday parties and stuff like that. And then for some reason, you know, just the way life and society kind of, you know, stretches you apart, you, uh, you know, you don't get to do that as much, but so when you, when, when it happens, it's really special and yeah. it's really nice. Yeah. And it was, it was nice to, to have an excuse to put down the damn phone and just put it away like not within reach and we just left it you know in a bag in the corner as we were visiting um only pulling it out for photos and and whatnot but uh you know i think when you're you're young you're like yeah yeah it's cool you know grandma whatever uh but as you get older you start to realize that your time is limited so every moment every smile every facial expression is captured in your mind through your eyes and uh and and it's really something that you really can appreciate. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, and also uh, did a a lot of driving <laughs> past yeah. few weeks. A lot of driving <laughs> around. I was like uh, everyone's personal Uber driver. Uber. And uh, also went up to Bakersfield on a on yeah. a day trip. And my father turned seventy five years old, so we had a big party at his place and uh, cool. got to got to meet a lot of you know the local friends and and. Uh, and uh, family that he has up there, and uh, had a really wonderful time. Made it back uh, Saturday evening, and guess what I did Sunday? A red eye. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was a three-day trip, and then I, I was home for about 16 hours, and then I did another three-day trip, uh, which is what I'm on right now. So yeah, the schedule has been uh, relatively tedious <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably the best <laughs> word for it but i you know here i am you know uh, taking all kinds of backside of the clock flying I had to fly out of lax because uh uh normally i'd fly out of ontario which is a lot closer to my house but i had a revision that i had to take care of and we're going to talk about that in a little bit um, okay so i had to go to i had to go to the the crew room and pick up this revision to be legal for my next flight at the paper revision Right. Um, unlike the spoiled airline pilots is what uh, <laughs> Captain Roger would say, but um, that, that we could just push a button and all our revisions are updated in a manual. And here we are complaining about paper revisions. <laughs> but <laughs> I had to, I traded a trip so that I could uh, fly out of LAX and pick that up. Um, and, and meanwhile, I'm looking at photos of you on the, uh, on the Instagram <laughs> fishing, <laughs> catching this delicious bass here out on the lake. What were you catching yeah. out there? Yeah, those are, uh, I guess they call those uh, sand bass here, maybe a white fish. I think they're called white fish. I don't know. The white, I think they're white fish, but they're, uh, they're basically a, hi- a hybrid bass that live in the uh, lakes here in, in uh, Texas and obviously other areas too. Um, but yeah, they're, they're kind of elusive uh, fish. If, uh, once you find them, you, know, you can catch a whole bunch of them. They, they travel around in, in schools and um, they 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 they're constantly moving and they're fast moving, so you um, it's really important to have a good fish finder and just know where some of the drop offs are um, around the creeks and stuff like that and on the lake and they they live anywhere from like uh, fifteen to like 30, 40 feet of water. Oh wow! So and and you really got to find like those they like I said those drop offs. They like to hang out on the drop off. So you just sit there and you troll around the 
um, the lake and, uh, you know, we're using a fishing chart, um, to find the drop-offs. So, you know, once you, once you motor out to those areas, uh, you look for the drop-offs and you start looking on the fish finder and just looking for a big clob of, you know, radar returns underneath the water. And that's usually the school of fish. And then once you find those, you just drop some spoons down in there and, uh, you can pluck them out of the water. I haven't had very good success doing it, but, um, you know, you look at some of the fishing charters, you really know what they're doing and they're pulling 70, a hundred fish out of the lake oh, you wow. know, in, in one day, you know, I'll be lucky if I get 10 to 15, but, uh, I don't have a fish finder on my boat, <laughs> but I, my buddy has a fish finder on his boat. So with my boat, I just kind of drift in the areas that I kind of know where there there's drop-offs. Yeah. And I also look for the, uh, the the charter fishing boats out there and i kind of just you know hang out in their area and uh just drift along and oh okay. catch fish so yeah that was just a nice get that the, the instagram post that you saw was just uh one afternoon i decided to go out and just do some fishing by myself and caught a few fish so it was fun oh fantastic i mean i yeah. all i could think of was uh i caught you a delicious bass <laughs> what what is that from that's from I've napoleon dynamite man <laughs> oh <laughs> napoleon dynamite that's right <laughs> yeah one of john header my favorite one of my favorite actors <laughs> yeah yeah and so so here you were you know enjoying the life fishing out on the lake yeah. which is right right by your mm-hmm. house yep and you also did some flying what kind of flying did you ah. do yeah we had a Flew two three-day trips recently. Um, so after our last episode, I went on a, a three-day trip, and one of my one of the overnights I had, which I haven't had in a while, which was a San Antonio overnight, and we say it stayed downtown by the Riverwalk, and uh, it's been a while since I've been downtown, and um, it, it it was so nice down there. The weather was perfect. Went out for a little exercise walk and. Uh, saw the Alamo and then hit the river walk. And I walked for maybe three miles in one direction, turned around and came back. So, you know, it's, it was just perfect weather for that. And, uh, at the same time, I took advantage of the opportunity to meet up with one of our, um, our listeners, uh, Ethan Brown, who is uh, serving in the United States air force down there. And he is also working on his, uh, he just completed his instrument training and he's, uh, Actually, he just, I think he, yeah, he just completed his instrument training and now he's working on his uh, commercial certificate now. Um, so yeah, we got to meet up and, and chit chat and met his family and, um, and his mom and dad. So it was, it was a great, great opportunity to sit down and have some dinner with him and, and, uh, see what he's got going on and how his future is looking. So, uh, anyway, yeah, that was a great opportunity there. And, um, Let's see. And then last week I flew another three-day trip, which was just a a bear of a trip for me. I I ended up deadheading about four and a half, five hours in one day, uh, which is which is, you know, I I I could I, I know how our passengers feel traveling uh, in the back of our airplanes because I had to do it for about four and a half hours. And uh, basically, what happened was is our our trip kind of got broken up. Um, after the, uh, the the bid awards, uh, one of the overnights was scheduled to be in in um, 
New Orleans, which apparently is still kind of lacking the uh, um, customer uh, loads that were that we'd like going into uh, New Orleans from it from Miami. So they canceled one of those flights and they reassigned me to do a, a trip from Miami to Austin. However, long story short, there's no quick and easy way to get from Miami to Austin in the time that's required for me to get adequate rest in Austin. So they had to deadhead us uh, through Dallas uh, to get to Austin with a couple of sits in between each uh, each flight. Yeah. So two hour sit in Miami, about an hour and a half sit in Dallas, coupled with you know the three hour trip from Miami and the 45 minute trip to Austin turned into a long deadhead day. Yeah. When me and the captain got to Austin, you know, we looked at each other and we were just like, oh man, <laughs> I feel like, uh, he put a fork in me. I'm done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And did you so, fly that, that evening out of Austin or you spent the No. Night? So we actually worked a flight from Atlanta. I failed to leave that. I left that out. I, we worked a flight from Atlanta to Miami in the morning. Oh, okay. Then sat the two hours then Miami to, uh, Dallas and Dallas, Dallas to Austin, Austin and you spent the night as a deadhead. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a brood of a day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, uh, pretty much all I've been doing. I did work a, uh, a day trip yesterday just to Tampa, which mm-hmm. was un- pretty much uneventful. Actually, no, actually was, was eventful on the, on the flight out of, um, Tampa climbing out. Um, we had a, let me see if I can pull up the message here. Cause I want to make sure I say it exactly correct for our listeners and our also our um airbus drivers hold on i'm sorry give me a second i'm looking for the picture so i get the right name we had an ecam message flight control flap system two fault on climb out and those are one of those inhibited messages. oh yeah you know as you as you take off so once we got through i guess was a thousand feet or 800 feet you know the message presented itself up there and immediately, uh, I've been practicing this all <laughs> for 10 years now. My aircraft. <laughs> My <right> radio. <laughs> e- My e- aircraft. <laughs> and the captain went right into it. And he's like, oh, this is not a you know quick action or an ECAM exception. I was like, right on, man. He's like, all right, why don't you keep flying and work the radios? Hey, sounds good. Just like in training. Yep. So uh, my aircraft. And I said, all right, ECAM actions. And there was none. It just said, hey, this is this fell. Just FYI. And he's like, clear flight controls. All right, clear flight controls. All right, inoperative systems, flap slow. And I forget what else it said on there. And then, uh, yep, clear status. Yep, clear status. Checking for follow-ups, no follow-ups. So um, continue. Uh, off as, we continued. Uh, yeah, yep. So plan. It worked out pretty good. It was really nice to, uh, you know, that was actually pretty much the first real, you know, ECAM um exercise we've had outside of training so yeah um worked out pretty good yeah that's fantastic uh thank you for sharing that because that's you know we we go through this training and you know every six months 12 months whatever your training cycle is if you're flying for a an airline um and, and you sit there in the sim and you do these things and it's like second nature because you've learned the flows and the trigger items and you've gone through the profiles and you've made the call outs and then you get on the line and it's like, okay, whew, that's done. Now let's yeah. get back to the real flying, right? And then all of a sudden, right. 
out of the blue, you know, months later, ding, and you're like, oh, uh-huh. oh yeah. And it all like comes flooding back and, and it's a good feeling <laughs> when it's all successful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, we've both been kind of enjoying their time off at home and flying. Yep. Um, I've had some exciting uh, events happen as well out on the flight line. Um, as I mentioned, the QRH had a revision over at Legacy we Airlines. Did. Now, the QRH, mm-hmm. what is that? That is the Quick Reference Handbook. Now, you mentioned that you had a procedure that came up. You had an ECAM message. Uh, ECAM is uh, electronic crew alerting uh, message, right? Or something like that? ECAM? Yeah, the, yeah, electronic crew advisory message. Advisory messages. Like messages, yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> it's an acronym. It's an acronym <laughs> that, you know, uh, millions of acronyms. Uh, just look, at, uh, look up Captain Roger Victor, and he has a great acronym song <laughs> that I hope he comes out with uh, a revision and 2.0 on that because there's so many more acronyms that he left out on that. But uh, so you go through these actions. Now, the, after you're done with that, you look up for follow-up items, as you mentioned. The follow-up items are in a paper manual. Now, of course, we also have an electronic version on our EFB or electronic flight bag, but it's mandatory that each pilot carries this paper uh, binder that has the quick reference handbook in the event that, you know, for whatever reason, you don't have access to the electronic version. You always have a paper backup. So I had to update this because a revision came out and I was doing most of my flying out of Ontario. So I had to figure out a way, either drive to LAX, go into the, the crew room, pick up a revision, or uh, I could just trade a trip. And it kind of worked out with my schedule to just trade a trip. Um, I hadn't been to Los Angeles in a while, so that's what I did. Now I'm sitting there in the crew room. And I'm doing this, you know, inch thick packet of revisions. And you got to be careful with these because you don't just, you know, change the whole thing. You have to old school, go through, look at the revision update list, find out which pages are replaced, which pages might be pulled out and destroyed, or which pages might be added to the list. And so you have to sit there and kind of go through each page and, and go through the revision, insert them. And then at the end, you want to keep that list of changes and review them so that you're not just blindly putting in pages and not really knowing what changed. For the most part, they removed our one and only memory item on the Airbus completely. It's no longer a a factor uh, because of some software upgrades. So all all references to the memory item uh, was removed. And so I'm sorry, I forgot what what was that? I don't even remember. Oh, that's the uh, the three scenarios with the uncommanded uh, pitch. Um, oh, okay, yeah, the yeah, air, that's right. yeah, yeah. So the one, backup speed bus, uh, one ADR, yeah, on and two it. ADRs okay, yeah, off. I do. Yeah. See, that's how good my memory is on those memory items. I totally forgot you about. You totally them forgot Cause, them because because right. we got the revision. So that's right. You're safe. <laughs> <laughs> so so I did that. And I'm sitting there, and it takes about 10, 15 minutes to do. And it was kind of late at night. I'm just sitting there, minding my own business, and I hear, "Hey, Tony, how you doing?" And I look up, and there's a captain who I recognized, but I had not flown with. And he goes, uh, "It's Captain Keith. I've." Uh, I've tagged you on Facebook a couple times. Uh, how's how's it going? How's the podcast going? I'm like, oh shit! Hi, how are you? And <laughs> so I was speaking a little bit with uh, Captain Keith in the crew room. Um, he is actually the creator of the 
Klezmer podcast. And oh. uh, we were talking about podcasting and, and how his podcast was going. He had not created a new show in a long time. And he said he was kind of motivated to, to get back into it. And his podcast, uh, he interviews and plays music and news from the world of the Klezmer and Jewish music hmm. uh, from around the world. And uh, he has 134 episodes. And I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone that's interested in checking it out. Um, but yeah, it was really nice to... Uh, have someone recognize me and go, hey, how are you? Uh, I know you're from <laughs> Facebook and, uh, you know. That's awesome. We're both podcasters. <laughs> He's like, when are you yeah, coming that- When are you coming over to our side? Because, you know, <laughs> wide body operation is like a completely yeah. different bag, right? It, totally, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, man, maybe someday. He's like, yeah, I'd love, come on over, man. I'd love to have you over on the, the 777. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. That, yeah, that's a good feeling because that's, that's yeah. kind of the same feeling I had um, a couple weeks ago as I was departing out of uh, uh, Myrtle Beach. And I think I sent you a text message and I don't even remember the captain's name. So I uh, forgive me, Captain. I forget your name. But I said, hey, I ran into uh, so-and-so. He recognized you and I from the podcast. And I think he uh, either he's a listener or he actually was oh. interviewed um, by you. But um, very cool. Anyway, yeah, that was a, that was kind of a, you know, caught me off guard. You know, I'm like, wow, this is actually getting getting around, you know, the podcasts and 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 things like that. So, uh, <laughs> like, you whatever you're doing, a celebrity dude. It, Tony. Uh, but hey, before we move on, I, I wanted to uh, correct ourselves on this because uh, we want to make sure we're we're providing the right information to our listeners and showing them that we are dedicated professionals. Uh, the definition of ECAM is electronic yes. centralized a- aircraft monitoring. Oh, I looked it up in our, uh, okay. in our, uh, in our books. So I found it, but well, anyway, I, pr- I appreciate you it's doing just, that because I, I, I was like kind of bugged about that. I was like, how come I don't know what that stands for? I know. Well, electronic acronyms we use all the times, you know what it is, but you know, the exact words may be irrelevant because you know, the, the use of it is, is more important on how you use it than, you know, what the actual name of it is. So it's electronic centralized aircraft monitoring. Electronic centralized aircraft monitoring. Yep. So, so I'm going to, I bet you there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of captains out there that probably don't even know. No, 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 I doubt it. Yeah. Oh man. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, like MCDU, you know, we know what that is, but I bet you a lot of people don't really know what the whole word of that is. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Yeah. Well, thanks for looking that up. That's, uh, that's fantastic. And yeah, man. you know, it, the keeping it above 50% to borrow a term from another podcast that I favorite, <laughs> that's, <right. laughs> that's the way to go. Well, you know, also yep. on my time off, I mentioned that I went to my father's 75th birthday party. And so, you know, you sit there, you make the rounds, you're, you have fantastic food and cake and all that stuff. And you meet friends of, of, that you don't know, that you didn't yep. know that, you know, my father's friends and, and one of them, uh, a musician for his church. Uh, he said, oh, you're, you're a pilot. Well, let me ask you, I've been curious. Every time I get on a flight, there's all these little like antennas all over the airplane. I was wondering oh, yeah. what those are. And I went, um, well, are they antennas or what do you, what do they look like? And he goes, they're, they're long and they're, they're usually all over the wing and all over the, like the, the body of the aircraft. And I'm thinking maybe, uh, vortex generators so 
I start asking mm-hmm. him some questions. Do they look like little tiny fences that, you know, are a couple inches? And he's like, no, 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 right. they're like really long and they're, they're like on the tail and they're on the wing tips. And I'm like, oh, it sounds like you're talking about static dischargers. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I posted on the social media uh, uh, sites for Squawk Ident some fantastic uh, stills and video of St. Elmo's fire that yeah. I was able to capture flying out of Dallas a couple weeks yeah, ago. That's awesome. And so I was like, oh, what a coincidence that you're asking me about static dischargers. He's like, yeah, what do they do? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you Good know, question. That's, a great, that's a great question. Let's yeah. talk about that on the next podcast. So, you know, Rob, you, you know quite a bit about static discharge wicks being a, a crew chief in the Air Force. And <laughs> yeah, I know that the airplane needs them. <laughs> so when they're missing, we have to replace them. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're not a no-go item most of the time. They're a right. CDL item, configuration yep. deviation list. So you can just mm-hmm. write it down that it's missing and go for, I don't know how many cycles, but right. um, yeah, so static dischargers, commonly known yep. as static wicks or static discharge wicks, are installed on the trailing edges of aircraft, included the electrically grounded ailerons, elevators, rudders, wings, horizontal and vertical stabilizer tips. Fitted on almost all civilian aircraft today, they are high electrical resistance from 6 to 200 mega ohms for those technical listeners out there, devices with a lower corona voltage than the surrounding aircraft structure. Okay, now we're talking like Latin here for me. (laughs) They control the corona (laughs) discharge of the atmosphere. They are used on aircraft to allow the continuous satisfactory operation of onboard navigation and radio communication systems during precipitation static conditions. Precipitation static is an electrically charge or an electrical charge on an airplane caused by flying through rain, snow, ice, or dust particles. When the aircraft charge is great enough, it discharges into the surrounding air. Without static dischargers, the charge from uh, would discharge in large batches through pointed aircraft extremities, such as antenna, wingtips, vertical and horizontal right. stabilizer, and other protrusions. The discharge creates a broadband radio noise frequency from DC to 1000 megahertz, which can affect aircraft communication. Static dischargers contain sharp points that any other part of the aircraft cause the charge to discharge through them instead and do so gradually. Yep. So basically, it's just a very fancy way to say that it provides a safe path for static electricity to exit the aircraft back into the atmosphere. Right. So how does static electricity form on an aircraft? So we've talked a little bit about it here in this explanation from Wikipedia. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but so you're, you're traveling through the air and all these dust particles, usually it's ice crystals, especially at elevation, close to thunderstorms or, or even rain. And you know you have it. We, we always hear it on the radio. We hear that that whiny sound on the radio, it's static, that is not squelched out because of how much resistance and ohms and, and there's just a lot of feedback there. And you hear it on the radio and it's very annoying and ATC is trying to again? talk to you. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, it sounds familiar. Sound, sound about right? I should have made <laughs> yeah. a recording of it. Next time it happened. <laughs> and so uh, these dischargers uh, 
give the electricity or the electrical charge an avenue to escape without right. building up. Now, when the discharge uh, cannot keep up with the actual static being introduced to the aircraft, we see the static electricity escape the aircraft, especially in the, in the flight deck, right through the windshield because yeah. it's a metal, obviously a metal uh, aircraft. And as it's coming up, it hits the windshield. There's no metal. It's it's a whatever it is, plexi yeah, right, composite, Lexan or something. Yeah, like Lexan plastic, plastic whatever it is. glass. Yeah. So this electricity just sparks, and um, I'll put a. I'll actually upload a photo on the website of some of yeah. those Saint Elmo's fire because it was pretty cool to to, to witness. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what your it airplane does. getting charged up with uh, static electricity right there. Yeah. And sometimes it gets so bad you can actually smell the sulfur. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Burning ozone. Yep. And then uh, working behind the scenes are your static wicks on your wingtips and tail and all the, uh, you know, trailing edge devices. Uh, Those static wicks are discharging that built up static electricity in back into the atmosphere. It's kind of like when you walk across the, uh, the, you know, your room. Uh, and and you you know drag you're wearing socks and you uh, you know drag your feet across and then you go touch the uh, doorknob or something and and you get a little you know thunderbolt come out of your finger. Um, the airplane's kind of doing the same thing except it's not wearing socks. It's just flying through yeah. the air and uh, it's building up its static electricity. And, and you know you see static electricity in the sky all the time when you have a thunderstorm. Yeah. You know, lightning a lightning bolt is a buildup of is a discharge of static electricity that has been, been built up in a cloud. Um, you know, all everything has a, some kind of an electrical charge to it statically, you know, positive or negative. And yeah, there you go. Plane, the, the cloud builds it up. And then at some, at some point it says, you know, I got to get rid of this thing. You know, where's, where's the, the nearest uh, negative, um, you know, waypoint here for me to get rid of yeah, this. And of that's where resistance. you get a, yep. you know, lightning bolt. And, and, and and you know the to the point of you know the the very pointy um, pointed portions of the static wick, um, you know you need that very pointy edge because it's it's very similar to like a lightning bolt hitting like a TV antenna or a tree. You know it looks for the the you know the the highest and the pointiest part to uh, discharge it at, and of course if it can't find it, it's just going to do it into flat ground, mm-hmm. but. You know, if, if it has something tall and, and prominent, then that's what it's going to hit. And that's basically how the static discharger kind of takes that place on an airplane. Yep. Instead of the antennas, instead of, you know, the radio nav aid antennas and all that stuff, because we want, we, we need those to operate. So we use these static wicks and occasionally they do get, you know, burnt off or blown off. And, mm-hmm. and then that's when we have to uh, have them replaced because uh, they did their job and they ser- served their useful life. And uh, they end up getting replaced. And I remember the ones that we used to use on the F-111 and F-16s, they were just screw-ons. So uh, yeah, you just uh, go grab a few uh, from the you know maintenance supply shop there and unscrew the old one and screw back in the new one. And um, plane's good to go. Yeah, all refreshed, renewed. Um, and yep. you know, aircraft get struck by lightning. It happens yep. all the time. Um, we, we do our very best to avoid it, obviously as aviators, but sometimes it's unavoidable. Now what happens now you're not touching the ground, you're in the air. So 
the lightning or the electrical um, charge passes through the aircraft. Uh, right. I've heard of stories of these balls of electrical orbs going through from the front of the airplane to the back of the airplane as it's getting struck by lightning and it just lights up the cabin at night. Um, no one gets shocked because they're not grounded, so the electricity just kind of passes through uh, the cabin usually. Um, yep. It's very rare that we actually see the physical effects inside the aircraft, but on the outside of the aircraft, if you have suspected that uh, you were struck by lightning, you're supposed to do a walk around, log it in the maintenance log in the AML, and what maintenance comes out and does uh, is an inspection of the aircraft and what they're mm -hmm. looking for are all the antennas and the static discharge wicks and they're looking for frayed tips trailing edge tips and uh you can kind of tell almost right away usually from the number two radio antenna which is at the bottom of the fuselage that you've been struck because you'll see burn marks um and rob just sent me some photos of is this the one of your <laughs> wow that was a uh that was a lightning strike i had as we we're arriving into puebla mexico um i forget how many years ago at least 10 years ago maybe even more um but yeah we were descending about um it looked like it was about 30 miles away from a major thunderstorm and uh, as we were descending through the the light overcast layer of clouds, um, and it was actually um, almost so light that you could see through from you know above, mm -hmm. you could see through this layer down down to the you could see the uh, the ground through the layer. That's how light the layer was. Um, and as we descended through that layer, I heard and saw a, a a flash and a pop and i and i was like man i think we just got struck by lightning and i looked at my my first officer my co-pilot and was like did you see that and he's like no i honestly i didn't hear hear or see anything and i'm like oh maybe it was just me <laughs> could have been it happened so fast and and i didn't hear like a lightning strike or you know no thunder there was nothing i mean there was i mean the the storm was far away i yeah. mean we're 30 miles away from it yeah this was probably fifteen thousand feet or so as we were descending into puebla so you know it was really odd to even experience a a, a lightning strike at that altitude or that you know that from that distance from a, a thunderstorm um so anyway we uh i called the flight attendant and i said hey did you hear or see anything back there and she's like no why i was like oh nothing we're good you know your yeah your passengers all all happy. You know basically trying to feel get you know get the uh, the sense of you know if there's anybody looking out at the wing or anything like that. Yeah. Like no, they're all look like they're kind of sleepy or you know ready to get there. I'm like okay cool. So we landed and um, first clue was when um, the first officer tried to communicate with. Um, with uh, the local station on on radio number two um you know hey you know we're on the ground you got no response uh, so you're like oh okay no big deal you know that probably that happens sometimes at these out stations they're out on the ramp and they're not working the radios so we pull in and um i'm like well you know what i'm just gonna go i'm gonna do the walk around while you shut down the airplane since you know we're 
I, I, I think we got struck by lightning, but I'm not sure what it was. So as I did the walk around, that's when I saw those pictures and uh, uh, you might want to post them on the website or I whatever. Will, yeah. Those are, those are pretty damn good ones. Yeah. But um, basically, you know, it, it looks like it, that's where it um, entered. That's where it, the lightning struck was that wingtip mm-hmm. right? you know, burned, burned the uh, structure right down to the honeycomb on the wingtip and you could see the static wicks are all blown off. But also I think another exit point was our number two comm radio antenna, which actually blew out our, our number two comm radio, Yeah, which we didn't realize we didn't put all the you know pieces together until we departed uh, back to Dallas. Uh, they just basically uh, put some speed tape over the wing. First of all, put some tough called tape it on good. it. Good. <laughs> some Windex <laughs> and then on we it. You're fine for Dallas, and then you know when we were trying to um, transmit uh, an in-range call um, on on our number two com with a DFW because we needed a couple extra wheelchairs, um, we couldn't read anybody. And then, so I, I asked ATC if we could try a uh, test the radio with their, you know, with their, with their help. Uh, so we tested our number two radio and they couldn't hear anything. So that's when we reported that, of course, number two radio was fried. So yeah, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Um, thank you for sharing those pictures. I'll put them up on the uh, website yeah. as well. Uh, hey, I've been struck a couple of times myself and what I found interesting, I had maintenance show me the evidence because i couldn't really see much evidence i knew we were hit because it was a big flash of light it hit right um underneath the first officer's window actually yeah um but he showed me it's like a sewing needle and it and the heat from the electrical discharge as it's going in and out of the skin of the aircraft makes these little burn holes and so you look and you see these little tiny holes that are just yeah. random and they usually have little scorch marks around them and that's yeah. where the electricity is going in and out of the the fuselage skin until it reaches yeah. either a static discharge wick or a pointy tip the, towards the tail yeah. of the aircraft yeah, if you look at those pictures you can see the there's a cup there's a couple of those on the uh the wing tip picture yeah and the left wing tip you can see them on there but the, the most impressive one that is the one that i sent you is the 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 image of the upper surface of the wingtip. Yeah. I mean, that thing is just scorched, but, um, that's, yep. Uh, that's, that's where it looks like it, you know, it's burned in a fire. It really is impressive yeah. to see. Speaking of burning, uh, so hmm. a couple, well, last week, actually, um, we did a red eye from Los Angeles to Charlotte. I've mentioned that I was doing revisions in the crew room before that trip and halfway Across the country, we get ding, 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 lav oh. fire, lav smoke, lav smoke. Oh, yeah. And so we got the ECAM message, the electronic, uh, what was it? Uh, <laughs> electronic know, but we're centralized, know the end, of the, end of the show ourselves. Centralized that uh, is automated uh, messaging system. Electronic centralized aircraft monitoring. Aircraft monitoring system. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I got the, we got the ECAM message and, uh, and we both like stopped and looked at each other like, oh crap. And we, captain said, my aircraft, my radios. Uh, he goes, well, um, let's see. Let's see. I think it's somebody just smoking in the lab. And is, he goes, but let, let's run through it. Is it a quick action or ECAM exception? Uh, I don't think it was. I think uh, that's only on the ground. It's only on the it ground. Is. Yeah. So it was, yeah. I, it wasn't. 
I looked at it. It wasn't. And he goes, okay, let's call him up. So he calls this all call in the cabin. And of course it, it went out right away. The, the mm-hmm. smoke uh, message. And uh, the number one goes, yeah, yeah. Someone I think is vaping in the lab. We can smell it. And he's like, okay, well get him out of there. Let's see, you know, see what they say. So just as soon as he hangs up to go back there to check, ding, 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 lab smoke mm. again. <laughs> oh boy. So it immediately gets extinguished and he comes back and says, yeah, there was a guy vaping in the lab. He came out with the vape pen in his hand. And then when I checked the lab, there was a vape pen in the trash can. Mm. So he, he was doing some major vaping. <laughs> oh, nice. So the captain's like, all right, well, give me his seat number and name. We got to file a report now. And, yeah. uh, and sure enough, uh, we, we verified that information in the uh, aircraft operations manual and in the uh, operations manual for the company any passenger disturbance now of any kind and any smoking of any kind or vaping of any kind is an immediate report to the company Uh, and our captain said well let's just have law enforcement standing by with a ground security coordinator and see what they want to do with it because he is in violation of a federal law smoking in the bathroom yes vaping counts electronic cigarettes count everything counts those Says it in pens. all the placards and literatures that we uh, that yeah. we have on the airplane. I know people don't read them. Yeah, that's it's there. Says it in black and white. Yeah, and vaping is is actually pretty serious because those pens can overheat and catch fire, and it's basically a thermal runaway of a battery, of a lithium ion battery. So, yeah, uh, the the CSR met the uh, passenger in question uh, at the gate, and they were having a conversation with law enforcement standing by. I don't know what happened to them uh, if they got in trouble for that. But, hey, if you're going to vape on an airplane, <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't go an entire flight without, you know, yeah. smoking a drag, as they say in England. <laughs> take uh, the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, take the train and you can step outside, open a window or something. <laughs> we're also excited because warm crew meals are back. Oh yeah! October first at Legacy Airlines. Uh, I made the mistake of eating one. (laughs) Thank God Roger's not on this episode because he would be really rolling his eyes at us right now. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, he's like having, you know, catering (laughs) delivered. Yeah. Yeah. Caviar. (laughs) Yeah. Have you had? Have you partaken in the uh, warm meals yet? With all the yeah, actually, I have. It it was a. uh, I knew it, it was coming back this month, but I. I uh, wasn't expecting it on my first trip, um, and when the uh, the flight attendant told us, "Hey, you know, we're ready for your breakfast," I'm like, "Sure." You know, I'm expecting the cereal and you know the cold stuff with the banana and more cheese. Yeah, cheese <laughs> and grapes. <laughs> uh, she's like, "Yeah, we got an omelet, and we have." Um, and then there was another like a bagel everything bagel or something like that nice and i'm like oh omelet is that and then i'm thinking is it gonna be cold you know yeah he's like no 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 we're heating it up you got warm meals back i'm like oh cool so you know the captain's like hey you get you get to choose you know like every most captains are pretty uh gracious that way so like all right i'll have the omelet and uh, i gotta tell you for the first three or four bites it was nice because it's like oh we got warm meals back but then you know, immediately my taste buds went back to, you know, over a year ago. I was like, oh, 
it's the same stuff again. Yep. You know, it's good, but it's like, oh man, I can only eat maybe one of these a week. And uh <laughs> yep. I'm good. So yeah, I had what'd you have? I had I had breakfast, I had lunch. I haven't I had, the had breakfast like the roast. Yet. Yeah, I had the roast, yeah, uh the roast which I felt ill good. for <laughs> it didn't feel good after. <laughs> no. And, and I've had the, the pasta, pasta, right? Yeah, the yeah, pasta is I mean, you can't give uh heated up pasta from the good back enough, of an airplane yeah. to an Italian guy because yeah. <laughs> I'll be like I know this is shit yeah I get it uh, but <laughs> yeah but you know it's nice to get back it's it's certainly helping out um at least in my eyes yeah I, I don't mind it I eat it whenever I'm hungry um and then I'll supplement you know that meal with something else if um you know I know it's coming and yeah, I'm not gonna. I have don't have the uh, palate for it that day, so I'll go get a salad or another yeah. sandwich. So, but yeah, it's kind of nice to have them back, though. Yeah, it, it really is. is. It is, and uh, I was very appreciative, and I made sure that I let my my flight attendant know that passed up the meals. Thank you so much for yeah. you know heating this up and preparing it for us. We are very yeah. grateful um, for yeah. what you do and. And they really that little bit helps tremendously yeah. to just yeah. give your gratitude to your coworkers and even the Certainly. person next to you. I've been doing a lot of that lately, and and some some of the captains have been kind of smiling at me, saying, <laughs> "You know, your your brown nosing is getting really professional." I said, "No, sir. <laughs> it's called daily affirmation, and I just want to let you know you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it." People like you. <laughs> People like me. <laughs> I like what Colonel Furman said last week. He's like, man, I just feel like I'm getting away with something right now. So, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I've, I've actually had a couple times too, where, um, you know, they'll, they'll say, Hey, we got meals for you. And I, and the captain look, he's like, oh, I'm not going to eat. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to eat it anyways. Why, are you guys hungry? Why don't you guys go ahead and yeah you know, eat it yourself. And, you know, half the time they're like, Oh yes. Yeah. You know, so now they get to eat. Cause I don't even know if they, uh, if they get meals, they on, really don't trips. They don't. Yeah. They, they yeah, have that's sad. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think they usually eat the leftover first class meals or snack sort of Yeah. Yeah. I, that, that sucks. That's something that needs to be worked out. Those, those, uh, those crew members in the back, they really, really, work hard back there and yep you know they deserve to have all the best to keep them going so yeah and i appreciate too when the captain's doing the pre-flight briefing with the flight attendants and they insist that you know they all gather up front so that it's not like lost through translation because you tell the person yes. and then the other three flight attendants are like well i never yeah. knew it was going to be bumpy it's like well right that's the that's the way it's supposed to work and i like it when they actually Take a moment. They tell the gate agent, nope, don't board yet. I have to do my pre-flight briefing. Everybody come up. Let's do a pre-flight briefing. And the captain yeah. will do a very brief mm -hmm. briefing. I don't like it when they <laughs> sit there for 20 <laughs> minutes and tell you their life story. But they do a nice briefing. And then the, one, the greatest thing I heard lately was, and I know you guys are wearing your mask the whole time, but if you would like to come up uh, mid-flight for a few minutes, take your mask down, take a breath air, you know, breath, yeah. fresh air. I mean, that is actually fantastic when i hear them say yeah. that well you know lately uh, a lot of the buzz on the flight deck was what has been happening over at what we call well let's just say southwest airlines because it's a news article here we're going to be talking about uh, from the yeah. points guy 
Southwest Airlines recently has canceled many flights, and there has been a lot of speculation that it is some kind of job action. And the truth is that there's no evidence whatsoever that it is any kind of job action. As a matter of fact, from some of our friends that actually are employed over there at that carrier, they have confirmed that the month of October had no more sick out time or pilots calling in sick than any of the previous two months. So there is no evidence that there's job action. What there is evidence of, as is described in an article that we'll be talking about here in a moment from the Point Sky, is just a collection of weather, air traffic control, delays and uh, en route issues, and mismanagement of flights, schedules, and crew scheduling. So this perfect combination has created quite a stir over at Southwest. Have you been hearing the same thing, Rob? I have. I have. Yeah, I have. They, they, uh, looks like they've, uh, they had kind of, uh, the perfect storm to say, to speak of, um, in their weekend, uh, meltdown where, you know, kind of weather, um, air traffic control, not being able to, uh, safely get traffic through their airspace properly because of the, uh, because of the storms and just the way that Southwest uh, routes their their aircraft and their their crews through the system, um, they experience just a total meltdown. Because a lot of people don't realize that you know if it's there's weather in Florida and you're in Denver, um, why would the flight? Why would that weather in Florida affect you in Denver? Well, guess what? Airplanes travel across the country and it may end up in Denver at some point, and that crew may need to fly you out of Denver. Um, and, uh, well, guess what? They're stuck in Florida right. with that airplane with, with that, you know, crew. So yes, you are going to be affected in Denver or Omaha or anywhere in the country. Um, so, uh, you know, that's kind of what happened. Um, there was no buffer in their scheduling for, um, um, you know, any kind of, uh, um, you know, cancellation or delays. Yeah, they didn't have the overlap uh, and have any aircraft and, so and flights. Yeah, and they're running thin. Yeah, you know, with with personnel and and crews. Yeah, and we're going to talk uh, about what I think happened here, and I think you agree with me from what you're saying. Um, but the mm -hmm. article goes on to say uh, Southwest canceled more than 1,800 flights over the weekend. That number has actually grown since this article came out, causing a cascading effect of chaos throughout its network and leaving thousands of passengers stranded around the U.S. and Central America. Many more flights were delayed and problems continued into Monday. Now, Southwest initially said on Saturday that the delays were caused by a combination of bad weather in Florida and air traffic control delays. The Federal Aviation Administration, which manages air traffic control, said that it did not have any active delays causing confusion. Southwest later clarified that it was referring to after-effects from Friday night delays. So there's a lot of... He said, she said, pointing the fingers, mm -hmm. you know, passing the buck kind of thing. Um, sources both at Southwest and Air Traffic Control denied to the TPG that there was a walkout or other labor action, despite some employees vocally opposing the ban and threatening job actions. Airline workers' strikes are prohibited under the Railway Labor Act. So you sure. can't strike. Now, if you have a job action, and a union or other organization says, yeah, everybody call out sick or don't show up yeah. to work tomorrow. That's actually illegal as well. Yes, totally. So it's, it's extremely you know, hard to prove 
when those kind of actions happen, but now everything is traced online digitally. So even if somebody puts on a Facebook page, hey, tomorrow we're going to call out sick. I mean, it's so easy to trace. Uh, And there's been no evidence of this. Um, What we're seeing is, and as you were kind of mentioning earlier, Rob, was uh, some airlines do uh, maybe five or six flights on a particular aircraft with different crews every single time swapping aircraft. I know Legacy does that. Um, There is a logic and a reason to it. Southwest often finds their schedules where that crew will fly that aircraft for two or three legs in the same day with 20-minute turns in between. So once that first domino falls, it creates an effect where a bunch of dominoes fall. And that, I think, is the causation of the logistics that created these cancellations and delays. Um, so, so I really think that it was a, a just this combination of some air traffic issues, some delay issues, crews mm-hmm. being out of place. You mentioned you had to do a double deadhead this week uh, yeah. just in order to get into location so that you can fly out uh, a leg in the morning, which was exhausting. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what a majority, I believe the article goes on to yeah. say, what, 6, 6% or more of yeah, the crews like were that. out of place, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and something I failed to mention in my deadhead story, which parlays back into uh, the Southwest story, is I almost ran out of duty day just da- just deadheading. Um, you know, we, we had a 12-hour duty day since we were, um, you know, traveling to a working sequence. It's considered part of our duty day. So we were um, limited to 12 hours of duty day. And um, we landed with literally two minutes left <laughs> of our duty day. Now, bring that back to the Southwest story. Um, you know, all those crew members are under the same kind of um, regulations that that we're under, where they are federally mandated uh, to limited to their, you know, not only flying time, but also their amount of days, hours they can work in a day. So once they reach those li- those limits or approach those limits, they turn into pumpkins. Uh, meaning they can't they can't work in work those uh work those trips anymore. So when you run into delays, um, you're on a clock as a crew member um, to you know to be uh, to be useful to the company. And once you reach that limitation, then you're no longer no longer useful. And then the company has to come up with an alternative plan to crew those flights. And sometimes yeah. the, that alternative plan results in a cancellation. And we've mentioned it before. Sometimes the cancellations are meant to just reset the system, come back the next day, everybody gets their <laughs> the required rest, and you stay with an airplane that's a, that's been canceled in that domicile or that outstation, and then you start off the next day with that airplane and that domicile, and um, pick up where uh, where, you, where you left off. Yeah, I think there's a, a point of where you run so efficient that. Like we mentioned, the minute you throw a wrench in the system, there is a, a yeah. diminishing returns that are just not viable. And I think that's that's what we're really seeing here. Um, yep. So it's really kind of a moot point. And I think I think uh, part of the not to you know extend this on too much longer or anything like that, but you know part of I think some of the media's agendas <laughs> was to uh, take this back to um, you know the the hot topic of the airlines and a lot of federal agencies is the, uh, the, whether or not to have a shot to get a uh, COVID shot. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of people think that the sick out was, uh, uh, the so-called, uh, the, the alleged sick out 
<laughs> was a result of the workers, you know, standing their ground and saying we're, we're not going to get one. Um, I don't believe it's the case. I, you know, talk to uh, my buddies that work for Southwest. I uh, hang out with a number of them here in Dallas, and you know, they're like, no, it's just it was just the way that you know the whole system worked that week with weather and delays, and it just snowballed into a train wreck, which. You know, let's face it, you know, you and I at, at Legacy have experienced that quite a bit yeah. uh, this past summer, especially when storms impact all of our hubs, you know, Dallas, Chicago, Charlotte, Miami, all, almost all at the same time. And, you know, we, we almost grind to a <laughs> grind to a stop uh, at some point during those uh, occasions. And it's very frustrating for our travelers and, and crew members. But that's what happens. Yep, absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that and talk to our featured guest today right after the break. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from the break. Well, our next guest first joined us on Flight 74 of the Squawk Ident podcast, entitled A Warrior and a Pilot. She's a Gold Seal CFI and aircraft owner and president of the Arrow Valley Flying Club, president and co-founder of the nonprofit Lontana Cares, co-host to the hit YouTube channel Taking Off, a new homeowner, and most recently, a newly minted line pilot at Sandpiper Air. From her new abode in Denton, Texas, help us in welcoming to the show, Miss Christy Wong. Christy, how are you doing? Doing pretty great today, actually. Thank you. I, I apologize if it's echoey in here. We still haven't been able to put up any, like, uh, meet her maps, uh, sectional. <laughs> Stuff to make it homely. That's awesome. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a wooden prop up there somewhere above the sofa soon. Oh, they're in the corner over there. <laughs> cool. Fantastic. And congratulations. Uh, you know, the Congrats. last time we had a chance to speak with you was back in March of 2000 and two, uh, 2001. Um, and a lot has happened along your journey in aviation. What can you tell us about what's been going on this past year? Okay. Uh, well, do you want me to start with personal or professional updates? <laughs> well, you know, we're let, let's this start with the transition i'll just say that <laughs> yeah let's 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 stick to the uh, professional and we'll dive into the personal when you're least expecting it okay um well professionally um i was recalled back to the airline and uh unfortunately i wasn't able to go to oshkosh this year because um my training actually started during the week of oshkosh However, uh, I'm not upset about it because I was able to get back on the 175 and I was able to get based out of DFW, which made it even better. I know, no commuting. Um, as I, I think I told you guys last time, last year I was based in Chicago, but I never had to go because we never got to fly the airplane. Yeah. Well, this year I not only got based in DFW, but I've been flying the airplane. I went through IOE and uh passed no problems i've had a really great time and i got to do my very first line pilot uh flying and it was two ferry flights <laughs> oh <laughs> fantastic I, you know we've been following 
your journey uh, on social media and just we're just so very proud of you uh, to be going through that. Um, you know, and we all have a stake uh, in Sandpiper. You know, Rob being a, a former 175 Czech Airman himself, uh, and uh, you know, we we love that company and just think that it's fantastic, and we're so happy for you. Now, you mentioned a little of the personal changes. We mentioned that you have a new house, um, I- and you know, we we actually had a chance to talk after the last podcast you and I were on because you had invited me out. I had recurrent training the following month, and it was an amazing experience to hop into the Wong Warrior with you and go flying around Denton, Texas. And I had not been in a normally aspirated piston-powered aircraft for, I think we calculated it to like 14 years. <laughs> and yeah. It was amazing. We had so much fun. Uh, we talked a little bit about our experience on a on a podcast that we did afterwards. But thank you again so much for for taking me up. Um, and it was fantastic uh, to see your home airport and and meet Kevin and get to talk to one of your students. And you know, man, what a what yeah. a treat. <laughs> yeah, um, we had so much fun that night. I. I just I go back and I remember the coyotes on the runway. Oh, that's right. Were you guys the talking coyotes, about that? I remember, you know, coaching you through landings, and we just—I mean, we we flew all over the place. We did this beautiful scenic flight out over the lake. It was coming towards sunset. The weather had moved off, so the sky was just probably sixteen different colors. It was such nice. a fantastic uh, experience to to go and fly with you that day. Yeah, and the, no traffic in the pattern. We were doing impossible turns, uh, which are not so impossible. <laughs> yeah, and that's one really great thing about the uh, controllers is they know that I love staying proficient. So they'll be like, hey, 5-1 Whiskey, um, nobody's in the pattern. Do you want to do some whatever's, you know? And they'll give me a whole bunch of crazy instructions and I have to follow it. And it's it's a, a skill set building exercise for me as much as it is a game for them. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And yeah, and so you talked a little bit about or hinted to some professional or some personal changes in your life. What changes are you willing to share? Okay. Um, well, uh, previously, earlier in the year, I wasn't really ready to talk about it, but things have improved. And so um, Steve and I, uh, a lot of people know that Steve Wong and I, you know, we were married. Uh, we did get divorced. And so, you know, it's funny how um, you read the about these celebrity marriages falling apart and they always cite irreconcilable differences. And honestly, that that's truly what happened. Um, Steve is not a bad guy. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a bad person either. It just, we got down to a point where we just could no longer reconcile certain big aspects of our lives. And so we made a a mutual decision, a very hard decision, um, to end our marriage. And, uh, you know, it was really, uh, I mean, it was really heartbreaking, honestly. Um, we both kind of flip-flopped a little bit on it. Um, it actually started really and truly um, that conversation started early last year, but we sort of tabled it because I was going through training. And then of course I went, um, uh, we went through COVID and stuff. And so we, we ultimately, we, we decided to try to make our marriage work. And when we realized it wasn't going to work, you know, it, it just, unfortunately, you know, people grow and change. 
And it's a really hard decision to make when um, you're growing and changing with somebody who turns into a particular person that you don't necessarily see yourself being with anymore, at least in that capacity. The one thing we did agree on was we agreed to be friends. Um, we've got our nine-year-old son, Mitchell, um, as well as our daughter, Emily, who's grown and, and in Las Vegas now, you know, she's doing the adulting thing, but, um, you know, Mitchell and Emily, you know, they're, they are, um, before Steve and I, uh, I don't know, we, we wanted to make it work for them, you know, initially. And when we realized our marriage wasn't going to work, we decided to work on a friendship. So Steve and I agreed weekly family dinners. We get together for holidays, you know, um, I'll be with them for trick or treating. We'll be together for Christmas. We'll figure something out. We haven't talked about Thanksgiving yet, but, um, he and I agreed, you know, we're still family, you know, and, uh, it's just, we're, we're, this is our new family dynamic and we implore others to do that as well, because we want to make sure that Mitchell continues to grow and thrive. Um, we don't want him to get swept in the way of our um, we're not even angry at each other. That's not even a good way to put it. We didn't want him to be adversely affected. We agreed. We wanted Mitchell to have the best of both worlds. Sure. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And it's a very mature and a a very honorable way of of going about it. I know in a few conversations that we've had, um, you know, you're, you're in good company. There's so many aviators out there that struggle with uh, relationships and the interpersonal dynamics at home. And it's such a healthy and refreshing thing to hear that you're working on your friendship. That, yeah. You know, the key word being working, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, something that it's, you just have to keep working on it because you have that bond and you have that history together. And, and in the process of going through tr- initial training again, um, and having all these outside stresses bombarding your life, all of our lives, really, with COVID and, and with the stress of the economy and, and mask wearing and, you know, and mask phobia and all this stuff that's going on. And you're still having to deal with your personal life. You know, thank you for sharing that because it's a very refreshing and healthy thing to hear that aviators are much more than just, you know, these stellar, stoic figures in the cockpit that never get stressed out and are always doing the right thing. And the truth is we're people and we're, <laughs> we have lives and we have a lot to deal with and a lot of personal things outside of aviation. And it's important in order to make the best judgment out on the flight line to have a good separation of home and work, but also try to balance the health of it all because it all affects each other. Um, and, and it's really good to hear. And in the process, you know, you've, you've been very vocal about moving into your own new place and, you know, we're so happy for you. Yeah. So that's kind of the next segment of this. So, um, you know, uh, I, at the beginning of this year, when Steve and I separated and decided to get divorced, I was like, you know what, um, I, I'm going to buy my own place then. Um, I didn't, want to be, you know, I didn't want to live in an apartment. I didn't want to rent a house. You know, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to find a place. So I found this lovely little subdivision of townhomes in Denton and, um, they were new construction. So I went and, uh, checked it out and I said, you know what, uh, I'm going to do it. Well, 
a lot of people already know who Kevin is. Um, Kevin has been my best friend for like three and a half years. Um, the dude literally walked into my hangar one day to inquire about the flying club. And, uh, we became really close friends. I mean, this was back when I was a private pilot. So, um, you know, he would kind of help me along the way. I'd reach out to him for questions. Um, both him and Marcus were really instrumental in my growth and moving toward Sam Piper airlines. Um, there was actually a crossroads that I came to previously where I had a choice to make. Do I go to Sandpiper or do I go to, um, another carrier? And both of them had gone to Sandpiper. And so that's, uh, they were able to give me some insider info and, and tell me all the great things about the company. And that's ultimately why I decided to go. Well, he and I have just stayed close ever since we, over the last couple of years developed a really close bond. And so when Steve and I split up, um, we, uh, we decided to take the leap. Initially I, I said, no, <laughs> poor guy. Cause I was, you know, going through my own changes, but I finally said yes. And, um, we decided to, um, you know, start dating. And we realized very quickly that we had this really crazy, like, I don't know how else to describe it other than just life partner CRM. <laughs> yeah. Like really, really connect with somebody on 95% of all levels. And so, um, you know, he said, he told me, he was like, Hey, if, uh, you want me to move in, I would move in, you know, and help pay rent and this and that. And I was like, okay. And then the more we started talking about it, I was like, I'm not going to do that. If you're going to do that, why don't we just go into it as a financial partnership, you know? And so we started talking about that. And then we were like, dude, this is stupid. Like we are so good together. Let's just go in on this house together. So we actually bought the house together. And uh, I mean, we've been together ever since. And um, it's go for it, Kevin. <laughs> definitely grown our relationship. It's I don't know. It's been really great, though. It's dude. He's just he's an incredible, amazing person. He's an incredible pilot. You've met Kevin. Yeah. He's just he's just so thoughtful of me and pretty much everybody around. I, I just. I could not imagine where I'd be right now if it weren't for him. He He's just been so great, you know? Yeah. And th I, I kind of look at it, you know, through the turmoil and tragedy that I went through this last year, because it was a personal tragedy. Uh, for sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm finding new ways to grow and thrive. And so I am... I'm actually a lot happier than I was a couple of years ago. And, and that, I didn't think I would be. I didn't think I could ever be this happy again. Yeah. And now, and I know it's crossed your mind. At what point does Kevin upgrade and then you can sling gear for him? <laughs> yeah. no, actually talked about it. Um, in fact, <laughs> when are y'all talking about? <laughs> I'll let, I'll let uh, Kevin, when, when are you going What's to up, upgrade dude? at Sandpiper Airlines? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could right now if I wanted to. But that quality of life as a FO is pretty good. So I don't know, maybe within the next, next year or so. Oh, okay. Well, congratulations. I definitely like Yeah, congratulations yeah, uh, a lot. On, on that yeah. because when that moment comes, we're telling Christy she's going to have to call you captain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we actually talked about, though, we were like, how great would that be? Like when I finally get some seniority as an FO and you have seen, you know, a little bit of seniority as a captain, we're going to be able to buddy bid. I mean, how, 
Like that's gonna be amazing. Yeah, we've we've yes. seen quite a few uh, couples like that in 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 our time over there. It's it's pretty neat to see that dynamic where, uh, you know, the husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend were able to bid on these trips. And and you know, here I am being like like really junior. I'm like, how do they do that? You know, how do you bid like that? It how do you even get awarded that? You know, but yeah. you know, that's they're just both really senior on both sides of the of the cockpit, and they're able to do that. And it was really neat. Yeah, I, I got to see that many years ago. I was flying with the captain out of Chicago and his yeah. wife was the flight yeah. attendant. And yeah. we would always kind of bid the same schedule. We were doing, I don't know if you're doing hardline bidding still, but we were doing hardline bidding. And after about the third month of all three of us flying together, and we all got <laughs> along so great. Uh, He's like, hey, are you buddy bidding me? I'm like, I don't even know how to do that, but uh, okay. <laughs> uh, and we ended up uh, probably in our careers uh, flying at, at the time, both at Sandpiper. That captain and I and his wife flew together probably eight months in total together. Wow. And yeah. it was great because we check into the layover hotels. They take one room and they're like, all right, Tony, you get to pick which room you want to take them both. We don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, yeah, if you get that opportunity, it's, it's kind of cool experience to do you know what while you can um yeah yeah that's a life thing that uh would just be incredible like i i couldn't describe it just because i i try to spend as much time with her as i can and to be able to work with her would just be amazing i mean it would literally be like okay so uh we're gonna talk personal i know you guys talked about it a little bit earlier about the the COVID issue but i'm just gonna uh, put this out there um, uh, we both actually got COVID, uh, in July, early, early July. And, um, this is when I realized that we had something really great. Honestly, we got quarantined together for two weeks, like literally did not leave the apartment. We were stuck in a, you know, 700 foot square foot apartment together for two weeks straight. And it was honestly, it was amazing like yeah, we it, had so much fun <laughs> like covid ain't so bad right <laughs> well I, but it was i yeah. was never like i'm gonna kill or, him yeah like yeah. or i'm so yeah. bored with him i'm gonna kill him like we found and and i think the key to that success was we were looking for ways to like entertain each other like i didn't want him to be bored he didn't want me to be bored so there was always this mutual respect of all right let, let me do something for you you do something for me or, or whatever um and it actually turned out to be a really great bonding experience for us it was yeah. you really get to know and someone too right bonus got the antibodies against covid so there you go there you go yeah sweet well so what what we really wanted to i know you're kind of limited on time because today's kind of a big day also over at sandpiper you're going to do your base day uh and we'll base get, day. yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that here in a second but how was your how was your training you had already gone through training did you have to do another long term yes yeah and it was the basically and here's the deal they actually what i really really enjoyed about that program is that it was the same but different it was the same in that yeah i was back on the 175 i was learning all the same things i was learning how the flaps flap and how the gear gears but um uh they had actually restructured a lot of the training based on feedback previously given oh, okay so one of the big complaints we had last year and i know prior classes had complained was the fact that um, you know, there was very little, uh, 
uh, work on like the FMS before going into the, um, trainers, the, the, um, you know, instrument procedure trainers or the computer procedure trainers. And so you go in there, like having read about how to program the FMS, but really no, like, you know, dexterity toward it. They actually created an FMS day. So now you get a whole day just programming the FMS. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. No, that was super helpful. Yeah. Um, it did. They restructured um, some other things as well. But, um, you know, that that to me was really, that showed me that they listened to the feedback, you know, which which is really great. And I, I think a lot of people tend to take that aspect for granted is that, yeah, okay, it may not have been perfect when, you know, you went back through training, but we listened to your feedback and we implemented those changes, yeah, you know? Nice. Um, but yeah, so it was go back, it was going back and relearning all the stuff that I had honestly forgotten. Um, Kevin and Marcus were really great too. They helped me study, uh, you know, they kind of got me back into the groove of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, of course there's IOE, which is where you're flying with somebody like Rob, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when you were with him, oh man, I just think how great would that have been if you were still here, man, we would have a blast. That would be fun. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I had, I'd show you how, how to do it, how not to do it the right way <laughs> or the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, so my, my very, it was crazy. You guys, I, I have so many cool stories to tell from my IOE experiences. So literally first flights, I had APA numbers. Because we had an MEL on the aircraft. Nice. Um, we had delays, weather, reroutes. I mean, mm. it was, I jokely, I joked with my Czech airmen that um, I got quality IOE. <laughs> because I felt like everything was being thrown us. We had, the next day, we had maintenance. Um, we had, I mean, it was just crazy. And then, so second day, I'm, literally my fourth landing in the airplane. We land in DFW. I'm getting off the airplane. Guess who's sitting in first class? (laughs) (laughs) And he's probably got the, uh, the critique paperwork. Okay. No Uh, pressure. Let's see. That landing was super hard and long. And (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, So I'll let you tell that story. That was messed up, man. (laughs) Yeah. She was just doing, uh, Huntsville. She was doing a two-day trip, and she was doing six flights, and she was doing a Huntsville turn for the last to end the trip. And uh, me and a buddy of mine, who is also friends with uh, Christy, were like, "The flights are wide open both ways. We should like sneak on and um, and just ride along." And so that's what we did. And it was actually funny because I was actually getting back from a trip at the like almost the same exact time, so I had to land. And I was coming from Mexico, so I had to go run through customs, run over to the Bravo terminal, and without uh, me seeing <laughs> him, yeah. And then we were like hiding and stuff, and <laughs> they gave us the seats like right next to the cockpit. So like she would come out to, she came out of the cockpit when we were on the ground to use the bathroom. We were like hiding behind the seat, and it was <laughs> <laughs> see lesson learned. You gotta check the non-rev list right before you close the door. Just in case you have somebody back there that you may know. No yeah. way. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Right. There you go. That's the next lesson. Yeah. Kevin will show you. It's 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 on yeah, CCI. 
flight attendant came and like blocked the door at one point. She was like, hey, girl. I was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want her to pause there. I didn't want to be a distraction or anything like that. You know, it's a big day. You got a lot going on. I, I didn't want her to be nervous or anything that I was there because I've had her ride along with me. And at the time I had, I had plenty of, a lot of time in the airplane. And even then I was still a little nervous. But Yeah. I just wanted to be. That's a good nervous. That's you want to make it perfect. And that's something yeah. that you'll take with you to your last day is the yeah. fact that you were there together. And, and yeah, those are some fantastic memories to hang on that's to. That's awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. And so you mentioned that you were drinking from the fire hose as everyone does on IOE. Most people, we tell them they're hanging on by the rudder for the first two legs and it takes a while for them to crawl back into the flight deck and, and, get maybe ahead of the airplane by a step or two. Um, and, you know, you really drank from the fire hose and you were mentioning that quality IOE. And Rob and I have had this discussion many times. We would always rather have a new hire or a student that struggled a little bit, but had the book thrown at them and they still yep. could get through it rather than somebody that had absolutely nothing go wrong. Everything was perfect. And they did fantastic because... Yeah. It's not until you put a little bit of pressure on that you realize what your own personal limitations are and if you can always redirect to get back into the green, to borrow a term from the threat and error management model. So my second trip, so that the, fir the first trip was just a two-day trip, right? And I wound up getting like 10 hours out of that trip. So I was halfway done. The second trip was a four-day trip. And in fact, he had actually said, you should request uh, going through Chicago. And I was like, oh, okay. But then I forgot about it. We were, we were busy moving and stuff. Well, guess what? I got two Chicago's on my second trip. I was like, wow, look at this. I didn't even have to ask, you know. Um, the second trip, we had maintenance, weather, um, flying at night, like through the weather, trying to get through that. Chicago turns twice in one day. I mean, it was just, it, like I said, it was an incredible experience. And um, the second check airman said the same thing. He's like, wow, like, yeah, you're getting some quality IOE. This is good stuff. <laughs> that second, what was it? No, the third day we had four legs and I flew three of them, you know? Good. And then, uh, I, I mean, just, I'm thinking of all the incredible things that got thrown at me and I'm actually really proud of myself. Cause man, I was hanging on and I didn't feel nervous once I got in that into it, it was like, mm -hmm. all right, here we go. And I just did the thing. You know, yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think it's you have, as you mentioned, a very good support structure. I know, I and that makes all the difference in the world. And my only advice to a listener that you know might have a job interview coming up over at Sandpiper, you know who you are. Um, and once you get in there, it's make the friends in your new hire class. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, find somebody that looks like they like to study. Study with them, um, because you know we we used to. He used to tell us, throw a tennis ball against the wall of the uh, hotel room. And if you can read off the callouts while bouncing the tennis ball, you're fine. But if you can't mm -hmm. multitask and bounce the ball and catch it and read the callouts for the checklist or read the callouts for the flow, then you don't know it uh, well enough yet. So there's yeah. so many little techniques that you can pick up studying with a partner, having somebody that's already in the industry or in that airline on that equipment that can help navigate you when you have a question is is crucial and then what kyle would tell you right now is 
take advantage of the mentor program. Every single airline has a mentor program associated either with the airline or with the pilot union that they have set up and take advantage of it. Make those phone calls because even if you think you've got it, it's, it's just so helpful to have that tool in your arsenal to make a phone call or send an email or text out saying, hey, I got a question about this. Um, I will say what really eased my mind, I think the most was um, that when the Czech airmen called me, they reached out to me before we flew. Do you have any questions? This is what it's going to be like, you know, welcome back. You know, I mean, they were, they spent probably um, 10 minutes on the phone with me just going over you know, little things, just chatting for a few minutes. And then of course I got to know them during our trips a little bit better, but it really helped put my mind at ease. Um, just talking to them. I was, I will admit, I was really nervous before that first IOE flight until, uh, he reached out to me and then all of a sudden it was like calm. Yeah. I can't, I've got, that is huge. Yeah. And it's, it's something that Rob and I yeah, uh, used to do before every single trip with a yep. even with a captain upgrade. It it didn't yep. matter. You had IOE with somebody. Uh, it was an obligation uh, to call them. And a lot of Czech airmen kind of reneged on that Shrugged obligation. Off, they yeah. would just say, "Well, you know, I'll see you at the gate and at the hotel layover." They'll like, "Okay, see you tomorrow at van time." It's like, well, you know, answer some questions, spend some time, you know, go over stuff that's not flying related that might be helpful to this person who might not know about van times and hotels. And I had one IOE student who at noon, I saw them in uniform in the lobby of the hotel and our van time was like 4 PM. And I came down and I, and and I just come in from a run and I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, check out is at noon. No. And I was like, bro, yeah. you're an airline pilot, Brian. <laughs> that doesn't count. Yeah. Go get, yeah. did you turn in your key? Come on, let's go get your key. Yeah. Let's get you back in your room. Go watch a movie. Some people don't know. They don't, they yeah. don't, didn't know. Nobody told them. No one, they, no one yeah. spent the time to kind of walk them through this idiosyncrasy yeah. of a process that they had no idea. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's extremely important for, for yeah, people I, like that. I had a student that I got a call from cruise scheduling. It, we, I think we started IOE in New York. Yeah, it was New York. And uh, I got a call from crew scheduling. And they're like, yeah, can you meet your first officer at security? Because he has no clue where to go. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, sounds good. So I was saying navigating employee parking, even at like just at DFW, you're like, I don't, what am I doing? Where am I going? I have no clue where to go. Yeah, I lost my car in the parking lot first day, uh, first first trip. Oh, because <laughs> I didn't realize there were three stops. <laughs> so when I pulled into the parking lot, and this was this was back back uh, when the uh, the bus was in re- reverse order. So anyway, when I pulled into the uh, parking lot, which you come in at the last stop, technically it's hard to explain, but I parked my car at the first stop. And then, you know, got on the bus, went to work six days later, come back. And I got off at the first stop on the bus, which is coming in the opposite direction, which I had no clue about. So I got off at the first stop, went to the area where I thought I parked my car. And I'm like, hey, I wasn't driving a BMW. (laughs) Whose car is that? You know, why is it in my parking spot? Did they tow mine? You know, my gosh. And thankfully, some uh, flight attendant 
saw the uh, bewildered look on my face and she was like, hey, are you new? Did you park at the <laughs> other bus stop? <laughs> I was like, yes. Can you give me a ride? She's like, yeah, sure. So she gave me a ride. And oh, there was my car. <laughs> Leave so, it to Rob. Crazy. <laughs> so your IOE experience, Clueless. Christy, was was fantastic. And you even had Kevin ride along with you, which was an amazing memory to have. Is there any part of the training, uh, maybe learning a particular system that really had you kind of hitting the books a little harder than you thought you would have to? Um, honestly, the FMS and the FMA, um, you know, the flight mode enunciator, understanding when you hit this, it's not just about, okay, I hit this button now. When I hit this button, why do I hit this button? Why, why does it go into this mode? You know, stuff like that. That's what, um, that's what I'm telling all of my friends who are now going into Sandpiper. I've got four mentees underneath me that I'm trying to give, you know, little tidbits to along the way. Hey guys, here's what to expect. These are the things to focus on. Um, you know, because the 175 is an awesome airplane and it's got this, um, like wonderful VNAV capability, but you have to know how to manage it correctly. Definitely. Speed on thrust, speed on elevator. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And you're, you're like, you know, yep. but it's starting to make sense now. Like it, it actually has started to make sense, you know, when I actually started flying the airplane and even when I was in the sim, but the sim training, you know, it's that AQP training. Now we're out there flying the line, but yeah, my first, so, um, you know, I'm sitting on standby, uh, because I'm bottom bottom of the bottom, you know, and that's just what happens. You sit standby. I call it airport appreciation. Yeah. Um, I'm having a really great time doing it because I'm meeting new people. I'm learning new things while I'm sitting there waiting for that phone call. And the first day I didn't get called. So no flying. The second day I got called within the first 45 minutes, deadhead, fairy fight, fairy flight. <laughs> and, you know, so I was like, I remember doing this in training because there's stuff that you have to do for ferry flights. You know, you're either ferrying them to maintenance or you're repositioning them, but you have to do this like manual weight and balance. And I was like, oh God, like I just got used <laughs> to flying the airplane like normally. Now I've got through and, and, and what was amazing is you're taking off and the airplane is super light. Oh and yeah. Max power out. It, it was just an incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. TO one takeoff. Yep. You want Max, dude. I'm in. It was. I was like, I'm on the space shuttle, you know. <laughs> yeah, then you reached the first crossing restriction at ten thousand two hundred forty knots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it was, it was incredible, though. Um, and the captain I flew with there. It turns out he's pretty well known in the company. Um, and so I've made a lot of really amazing connections and networks, and um. He taught me a lot of stuff on it. It was just so much fun. Like, I am super excited about what I'm doing. I, like, I'm not even mad. Some people have made comments on my social media about sitting standby. Like, you know what? I'm just excited and happy to be here. Like, you guys don't yeah. even know. It's, it's part of the experience. It, I'm Yeah. I'm sure. But I think it's some people forget, you know, they, they look back on it. They're like, Oh, standby was terrible. Your life must be terrible. And I'm like, actually I'm having a really great time. Yeah. And I think maybe they, they don't like to hear that. They want me to be miserable too, but that's yeah. not going to. Yeah. I'm Misery loves company. Yep. So don't listen yep. to that. So yeah. 
that uh, ferry flights were always fun for me. And especially when you had a flight attendant on board with no passengers, obviously, because it's a ferry flight. And you, at the time, you could offer them the jump seat. And because most of the time, flight attendants have no idea once the door closes what's going on. So you offer them the jump seat and they sit there and you take off. And like you said, it's like a rocket, man. Um, but y- when you get onto mainline, and I just wanted to share this, as you mentioned, taking off like a rocket. We were in a Neo the other day, leaving Phoenix with 97 passengers on board. Oh my gosh. And we're, we're climbing. Uh, we're doing a high speed climb because it's the go home leg. And uh, so we're doing like 330 <laughs> knots, you know, somewhere around 18,000 feet and just climbing nice and easy, 1,500 feet a minute, just screaming out of there. And ATC says, um, can you slow it to 290, please? <laughs> and captain says, sure, flip. And oh. I don't know if you can see that climb rate. Hi. Is that 8,300? 8,300 feet a minute. And look wow. at the airspeed trend vector. It is not like through the floor. It's just slowly climbing at what, oh 13 degrees pitch, 8,300 wow. feet a minute. And it, it kept it for 30 seconds <laughs> before it started to <laughs> pitch funny. back over. So, <laughs> wow. yeah. Then that's a, an, a Neo, an Air 321 yeah. Neo it holds 200 people. So, yeah. Wow. That was fun. That's awesome. Yeah. I just thought I'd share that with you. But yeah, so the, the FMS system, uh, AMA, um, those are systems. And I think performance is usually something that gives a lot of people a little bit of trouble. Kevin, what do you think? Uh, have you seen on the line with your, F, with your fellow pilots and uh, the people you've flown with so far that they have a really good grasp of performance with the training amount that Sandpiper gives during a long-term ground? Um, yes and no. Like, uh, when, when you have to do, when it's just the standard stuff that comes out of the printer, yes. But it's when, yeah, when you have to do uh, ferry flights and stuff like that, like I had to help you guys out. <laughs> oh yeah, we were like- I got a phone call. <laughs> Hey, how do you how do you look up the uh, the VA? I'm like, oh yeah, you got to go, you got to type this in, look at the back of the checklist, stuff like that. And well, when um, you don't do them all the time, yeah, when you don't like... do them all the time, yeah, you just come out of it. So the normal stuff, yes, people are really good, really strong on it. But when you have to do the non-normal uh, things that you don't do every day, that's when people struggle, which is normal. Yeah. Well, and what I've noticed about this job is that you can learn as absolutely much as you want to learn. You can choose to be, I just get by with the basic, you know, information, or I can get into the books. And the thing that I love about Kevin is that we, he'll literally just pull out a section and he'll be like, Oh, did you know that the airplane dot, 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 dot. And he'll literally go into the AOM and start digging out information that uh, they, we really didn't go into depth over in training or maybe they did. And I forgot because, you know, um, but there's a lot of really good info in there and <laughs> you can really choose to be, you know, an expert on this airplane if you choose. Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. very true. And sometimes I, I got to admit, I'm guilty of like, I, I like the trivia, you know, like Kevin, I like to dive in. That's why Rob and I uh, were Czech airmen. It wasn't because of the fame and the money and the power. It was because we enjoyed getting asked a question and then not knowing the answer and having to dive into the books to find the answer and then 
you know, filing that, putting it in the back of your head in the event that you might need to recall that quickly, you go, oh yeah, I remember that. Just the other day, we landed in Denver at night and there was a uh, super tug taxiing without an aircraft behind it, just a super tug taxiing and the air traffic controller told the super tug to give way to us as we were clearing to go into the ramp. And uh, so I read that back and I looked at the captain and I said, hey, did you know that if they didn't say anything, we would have had to have given way to him? And he's like, what? A super tug? I'm like, yeah, a super tug on a taxiway has priority uh, versus an aircraft. And he goes, no way. I said, yeah. He goes, where'd you find that? I'm like, in the aim. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all these little tidbits, you know, and if if you really are interested in doing the job and not spending the time to do all that stuff, you're still going to be a safe pilot. You're still going to have a great career. But it's it's almost entertaining and a great way to spend time is to dive into the books when you get a chance. I had a, a captain once told me how I prepare is every month I pick a section and in cruise when you have nothing better to do. If you, instead of reading a, a paper, I'm dating myself now, instead of reading a mm-hmm. newspaper, <laughs> you just pick out a section and, and go through and learn something, you know, or reread something you haven't read in a couple of years. And then when, yeah, you know, yeah, it, I mean, I, like I told you, I just, I'll just go through and read a section and I'll always find something I don't know. I can yeah. find 30 seconds. Yeah. And, yeah. and another thing that I like to do as well is if I have maintenance on the airplane, I always like to see what they're doing. Uh, one time they were going into the uh, avionics bay and I was like, cause they were going to replace a module and I was like, I'm going down there. And mm-hmm. so they're, they're watching them. I mean, I didn't, I mean, it was so interesting to, did you ever go see. through the uh, wheelchair thing in the back of the airplane to look back there and see what they're doing? Hey, what are you guys doing? You know, behind <laughs> all the galley carts. <laughs> no. Oh yeah. I haven't seen the aft one. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. That I think that's the aft electronics bay. But I had that happen once, but I, I was going to say a lot of times in aviation, uh, at least in my experience is, you know, the test comes first and then the lesson follows. So, yep. you know, and that's when I do a lot of my studying is I, you know, I, I come across a situation where, you know, we're live, we're on the spot and you got to get it done. You got to do it. And, you know, you end up having to scramble because, you know, there's something that you have to do, you know, in particular a procedure. So, you know, you're like, okay, I don't know what it is, but I got to find it. Okay. Bam. Found it in the books. Let's do it. And then after that, you know, we get on our way, I have two or three hours to kill and I'm like, okay. What was, what else do I really need to know about this stuff? And you start scamming through it. And, uh, you know, then you file that, like you said, Tony, uh, in the back of your head and, and you move on. And then the next time that happens, you're like, I remember this. Let's, you know, a little further knowledge on this now. So, yeah. 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 Well, Christy, I know you, you need to get going because you have a, a base day. What is a base day all about? Uh, so once you're done with IOE, you basically have like, this like, um, in dock base day where you go and they spend a couple hours with you, just teaching you everything that's very specific to that base. Because what a lot of people will do is let's say you're based in Chicago, but you live in DFW. So a lot of people will actually get their IOE flights out of DFW. 
So they don't really know a lot about Chicago. They'll get a base day assigned to them out of Chicago so that they could start to learn things. Now, it just so happens I live in DFW, did my IOE here, and this is where I'm based. Um, so I'm based, I I'm really excited to see what else I'm going to learn. Um, I'm sure there will be stuff that I, I don't already know, but, um, so, yeah. and I'll get to meet some of the other, uh, people there. There's going to be, I think four of us today, they said. So plus good uh, whoever else in the chief pilot's office. Yeah. Is so, Annie angle still the chief pilot there? Yes. All right. Tell her Rob DeHace, who said, hi, I will let her know that I'm sure uh, she'll know what Oh, she knows that we've, we've <laughs> flown quite a few trips together and, and man, it, <laughs> I don't know how we landed the plane a few times. Cause we were just laughing our asses off all the way down final <laughs> uh, over whatever nonsense we were talking about, but we've had some good trips together and she's a, she's a great chief pilot and a great pilot and a great leader. So tell yeah. her I said, hi, it couldn't I have been do. your uh, Billy Bob teeth that you were wearing at the time. Uh, she, I think she saw them. <laughs> I think I had them actually. <laughs> we need to get a picture of that posted uh, soon. <laughs> but uh, okay. yeah, the the base days, you'll meet your chief pilot. You'll find out where your mailboxes are. Um, and most importantly, make sure you introduce yourself to the secretary or the admin. Because when you call in sick or you have a problem or you have a question, who answers the phone first is who you want to be on a name by name basis, you know, one on one. Because... It, that'll make or break how easy you're uh, taken care of. So yeah, definitely make sure you introduce yourself to the admin and, uh, and enjoy your day. All right. Thank you guys so much. Best of luck to you. Well, you know, I just want to say thank you again for joining us. You know, we really enjoyed getting to hear about your experience over at Sandpiper. I wish you a long and fruitful career, but not too long because we expect you over at Mainline here. Uh, soon enough. Uh, it's an exciting time to be in the industry uh, with all the growth and all the upcoming changes uh, that we are foreseeing here in the near future. I think that uh, both of you uh, are going to really have a good time at the regional. Enjoy it while you can because it's a completely yeah. different bag. Um, it's more of a family at the regional yeah. level because you get to know people, you get to fly with them for you know months on end sometimes yeah. um whereas at mainline it's just such a big operation that you might never see the pilot next yeah. to you ever again so um yeah definitely enjoy that time and by all means make good choices <laughs> <laughs> speaking of that how what what are they saying is the flow time now for uh sandpiper <laughs> yes i don't know who that is but um like six years <laughs> Yeah, six years. Wow, that's um, pretty good. That's yeah. really good. They're telling um, us four over here. Four? Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's moving quick. I mean. Well, I'm sure at like PSA and Piedmont, they have different times too, but. Yeah. Yeah. That every carrier has this magic number. Oh, you're going to upgrade at this time. Yeah. If it was today or tomorrow, but next week it'll be add-on a year or two years i'm sure or, yeah. i'm sure it's a fluid number i mean it, it you know with the way things are <laughs> in our industry right now where you know you have you know streaky highs and lows and things like that with the you know shots yeah. and covids and you know furloughs it's 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 a roller coaster so it you know it'll go up it'll go down it'll go up it'll go down yeah so the jab refusals yeah. uh are actually a good thing for the uh, junior pilots 
Yeah. So yeah. these pilots are going to quit and refuse to get the job. That means you move up a number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate to gain a number that way, but it's uh, it, it's just the way that everybody has choices. Exactly. So exactly, and that's the freedom of it. Unfortunately, it's not <laughs> the entire freedom that we want, but <laughs> that's that's the way. Yeah, it's turning out to be right now. And Christy, congratulations with your latest episode of Taking Off. Uh, you you kind of talked about the Southwest uh, fiasco as we did earlier here on the show as well. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I, I think that it's a an unfortunate coincidence of just um, it's a combination of things happening people are saying that um it wasn't a planned stick out but that some pilots are afraid that they're going to wind up being fired so they're trying to use up their sick time now so that uh you know if that if it does come to that they don't lose it um because my understanding is they pay it out at a percentage versus being able to utilize it 100 percent. so yeah Mm. yeah Yeah. well Um, that with the weather there's people at atc i mean you know industry's in flux right now honestly yeah so yeah well definitely stay safe out there enjoy your time on reserve i don't think you'll be on reserve very long with all the new higher classes i saw the i follow the uh sandpiper uh page and their class sizes are getting pretty impressive Uh, yeah so yeah that that that's fantastic for you and for kevin um so congratulations congratulations on the new house and thank you so much for joining us Thank you, guys. Congratulations. Thank you. As our flight is drawing to an end, we would like to thank all of you for coming along with us on this journey. A very special thank you to Christy and Kevin for joining us today and really having a fantastic time listening to their experiences, both with Christy's IOE experience and with Kevin's support. Please help us out by sharing this podcast online and with your friends. Be sure to subscribe or follow to the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even audio feedback via our website at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. There you will find audio archives from the show, photos from the flight line, a guest book photo tab. It's also the Squawk Ident Pilot Shop, where you can find t-shirts, mugs, hats, and such. And a small proceed of all the sales goes towards helping to finance this podcast. You can also contribute to the Squawk Ident Podcast financially right from the homepage of the website. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram users can find us on Squawk Ident Podcast. Also, a big final thank you to Rob D. for joining me today. And thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. See ya. All right. See ya. Bye, y'all. Alright, let me just stop here.